practice is the lifeline of our program. I would much rather practice than play a game any day. Our obligation as a coaching staff is to organize the most efficient, fun-filled, competitive practices possible. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for being here. Today we're joined by Pete Savage, head coach for Reno High School in Reno, Nevada. Coach Savage has been the head coach at Reno for 25 years, winning 11 regional championships, 13 state tournament appearances, and one title. He has also gotten the opportunity to watch three former players win an NCAA title, four players picked in the first eight rounds of the MLB draft, and a big leaguer that just got called up this past July. Coach Savage was brought up in a baseball family, and his younger brother John is the head coach at UCLA. On the show, we discuss how they run their practices and why they are known for them, We also talk about the steps he has taken to build and maintain his culture at Reno and what he does to help his assistants grow on a daily basis. You're going to get a lot out of this conversation with Pete Savage. Coach Savage, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Of course. So talk to us a little bit about your baseball background and why you decided to get into coaching. We grew up with baseball, obviously coming from a baseball family and, and we just played baseball throughout our entire lives. I was a I was a pretty good high school catcher. I loved catching the catching position. Went to college, played one year, uh, was not a good enough hitter to remain there. Immediately got into coaching after college graduation. And you know, for me coaching is I love the challenge of putting together a different team each year and that that team is going to compete to the best of their ability. It's a big challenge, obviously. At a, we're, at a, we're at a public high school. I've been coaching there for this is my 25th season as the head coach. And, you know, you take your program's principles and your systems and try to fit that together with the personality and character characteristics of this year's team. Um, every year it's a big challenge. But the, the one thing we try to do is raise raise our competitive level as a team above our talent level. I love it. And you're out in Reno at, at Reno High School. And I have, I've, I've actually been, been to Reno a couple of times. We played in, uh, I think it was the Anderson Memorial Baseball Tournament in like the middle of July. So I stayed at the Circus Circus and Reno is a very interesting place. And, and we got to play it at, at the University of Reno, which is a really, really cool stadium. And you guys have a really, really cool setup there too. But talk to us about, you know, what you guys are going to be able to do this fall. We're, you know, fully immersed in the fall right now as we speak. So talk to us about, you know, what a typical week looks like for you guys and how are you guys developing your players? I think to start to start to talk about the fall, you really got to look at how we look how we run the whole year. And I look at it as a seven-part teaching process. First of all, the fall is the beginning of the school year. Those people that are not playing another sport, we we do encourage two sport athletes, two or three sport athletes in our high school, but those that don't, we jump right into fall practice. And I, and I emphasize practice because to me, practice is the lifeline of our program. I would much rather practice than play a game any day. Our obligation as a coaching staff is to organize the most efficient, fun-filled, competitive practices possible. Mm. You know, in practice, the reason I love practice is you can you totally control the environment. You, you, de- you definitely control the reps, uh, the competition created within that practice, the work ethic the team building within that practice. And, and obviously the greater thing is to teach our players life skills that are going to make them successful later on in life. So that's our first step. Our, our, our fall practice starts right after Labor Day and it'll run through the first week of November. Uh, we'll practice four to five times a week. Maybe we'll have 45 to 50 student athletes out there. And then um, we will play a few fall games, but I would say 80% of it is focused on development, just the physical and, and the mental development of a base, you know, all of our people as baseball players. Our second step is winter baseball. We'll work out five days a week. We lift every morning at six o'clock. Our strength coach runs that, does an outstanding job. It's definitely a, a program separator for us. That's, that's throughout the entire school year. So we're very blessed that all our players you know, five days a week, they wake up and they go to work and they, you know, they, they lift from uh, six to seven every morning. During, during our winter workouts, our emphasis is on arm care, agilities, 
So foot speed and, and lateral quickness, the running speed development of the player, the hitting, we do a ton of hitting, short game offense, which obviously we believe believe a lot in. And we also teach a baseball class uh, at the end of those workouts, which will break down any part of the game, whether it be hitting, pitching, infield, outfield, base running, mental game, or just have a, bring in a motivational speaker. We do that at the end of every practice. Then it goes to preseason baseball, which is I consider our third step, or I kind of break it down into seven innings. That's our third inning. That takes place in January and February. And at that time, we're on the field as much as possible. Reno, Nevada is a very cold climate during that time. So back in the year 2000, we built an 8,000-square-foot hitting facility right next to our baseball field. So if it's too cold, you know, we jump in there and work. But, you know, one of my main obligations as a coach is to teach our players toughness, uh, you know, to be tough. And you got to go out there and work out in the elements. And, you you know, last last winter we had a very – heavy winter so we shoveled our field three times just to get on there and practice wow. and and when i say shoveled it, one session was a 23 hour sh- shovel deal it was a lot of hard work mm. it was great though because it was outstanding for team building because you saw you definitely saw work ethic you saw organizational skills uh, among the different leaders and it was great so we shoveled our field and practice so that's our that's kind of our version of spring training. We jump in at the end of February and March and April and mid-May. That's our high school season. We play, if we go all the way to the state championship, we'll play 40 games, which is about 20, 22 league games and two tournaments plus playoffs. Then we jump into our playoffs, which I call the sixth inning. And, you know, we've been fortunate and we've won a lot of championships in our program which is direct relation to the work ethic of our players and their talent and the hard work of my great, we have great assistants in our program. So how we develop our coaching staff, I think is a very interesting uh, aspect of our program also. And then finally during the summer, so we get a week off uh, between the state championship and Memorial day and we start Memorial day weekend and we we're an old school program in many ways. So all of our kids stay together throughout the entire year so you know we play 60 american legion games between memorial day weekend and at the end of july okay and so and that's that's the the tournament you're talking about the josh anderson Mm -hmm. i'm the tournament director of that thing so that's awesome uh, yeah it's a great tournament and we play up at the university of nevada but we we go to tournaments and we do a lot of road trips uh in july this this last july we just went on uh Every weekend we went on a road trip. We went to University of San Francisco, played in the tournament. Oregon State played in the tournament. UNLV played in the tournament. And, and the great thing about that is you take these 18 kids and, and, you know, we get on a bus, we raise money for a bus, and, and uh, we try to treat them like a college-type atmosphere. And we do a ton of team building during those those trips because, you know, sometimes the parents come and watch them and sometimes they don't. But you know, we're a very old school program. We all stay together. So, you know, back to the original question, you know, I think fall baseball is all about player development. Player development is obviously, the players are obviously the most important piece of our program and, and how they develop. Um, and we do that through practice. And I, I, like I said, I love practice. And really practice is all about us going out and teaching, teaching different aspects of the game to our players. And, you know, every time I say player development, I really should be saying personal development because if, if our jobs as coaches is just to go out and win a game, win a high school game, or even a high school championship, we're pretty short-sighted. Our job as coaches is to, to really work on personal develop, uh, development. And, you know, I heard Tim Corbin speak one time and, and he said from Vanderbilt, he said, hey, once he started concentrating on development of the individual as a person first, they became better players and then their teams became stronger and then they became, they won more games. So that's kind of the, the plan we follow. Well, it's awesome. And I love a lot of that. And, and speaking of, you know, right before we get into a little bit of culture, you just had your first, uh, I think it was your first, first big leaguer, but you just had a guy that was called up uh, this, the last couple of, or I guess last month uh, at the time of this recording, was that your first big leaguer that, uh, you know, it is, up? it, 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 uh, his name's Garrett Hampson. He's playing for the Colorado Rockies, and, awesome. and uh, 
you know, it, it was, it, it is awesome. And it's, um, the thing that, the thing I took away from that, cause you know, obviously the paper calls and the people call and they want to know how we feel about Garrett Hampson and he's a terrific player. But, but the thing I thought about was how many kids do we coach that don't make the big leagues, you know? And so every single player that wears the Reno Husky uniform or the Reno Knight American Legion uniform, where's that Jersey is equally important to me. Whether he gets 200 at bats a season or he gets 10 at bats, they're all equal. And um, I think um, as the longer you coach, you understand the responsibility we have as coaches, you know, to to work with every player. We've had a lot of players go on. You know, we probably had over 150 kids go on and play college baseball since I've been the head coach, and probably about 15 have played pro ball. Mm-hmm. But um, when we won, we won a state championship back in 2004, and I went in to, the, to my principal. My principal's name was Bob Sullivan, the best principal I've worked for. He's just a fantastic guy, you know, and he was a former coach himself. And he said, hey, congratulations, you know, you, you got that state championship. And I said, thank you. And he, he said to me, he goes, but you realize that really is not the real state championship. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, we'll know if these kids are really state champions 20 years or 10 or 20 years down the road and how they're raising their family, how, you know, what type of profession they're in. If they're teachers, are they teaching their classroom the right way? If they're running businesses, are they high character, hardworking, you know, businessmen or that type of thing? And that really hit home with me because it was like, it just shows you the life skills is what we're teaching, not just the game of baseball. You're getting me fired up over here. So let's <laughs> let's talk to you, talk a little bit about the culture that that you've built over you know your 20 plus year career there at Reno High School. And so tell us a little bit about your culture and give us some way some intentional ways that you have built it over time, and that way. You know, a coach from that's been at a school for 20 years or a coach that's been at a school for two can take some of those ways and try and implement some of those different ways in his program. You bet. So we have the we have what we call our pillars of success. And those are kind of our core principles of our of our program and what we the kids get this hammered into them. They understand how important it is. And so we break it down into uh, the name of our team, the Huskies. So H stands for hustle. Uh, which which I always tell them we want to be the hardest working, hardest playing team in the country. So and that that hustle really goes to all aspects of life. Yeah, it's running that hard ninety. Yes, it's hard you know hard on the field, hard off the field. But it's also you know how do we set the field up for practice? You know how do you wake up in the morning? Do you make your bed immediately? You know where do you sit in class? Do you sit in the front row or do you? Are you the last guy into class and you sit in the back row? And that, that type of behavior is not accepted. So the word H, the letter H stands for hustle. And that goes into so many different aspects of just being a hardworking, show up every day and work hard type of player and type of person. U stands for unity. And I, I if I said it once, I've said it a, a million times to our parents at the parent meeting or to our players all throughout the year. The most important concept we can teach our players is how to be a good teammate. This life skill directly translates to the rest of their lives. You know, in every meaningful part of our lives, we're going to be part of a team, whether it's in your family where, you know, where you have your wife and your, and your kids, so you're sacrificing for them or your, your job, your future job, you know, where you have to work in a team environment. So you're sacrificing for other people or your church, you know, they're all teams. They're all teams. They're teams within a team. And, and um, the way I was raised by my parents, we were put on this earth to help other people. You know, it's often said in our program, the words I or me are, are not allowed. So, you know, when you ask me that question, how did, how did you create this culture? It's like, I don't create the culture. I, I, I throw it out there. And then the, every year the players create the culture, you know, and the, the, the coaches kind of police it. We make sure it's, it's good. But the players, they're, they're, they're everything to us. S, S, the word, the letter S stands for sacrifice for the good of each other. Like Coach Degg said at the ABCA, you know, there's no greater honor than to give yourself up for your brother. And, and these kids, we spend, we spend so much time together. We spend 10 months together 
throughout the year and they become best friends and they become lifelong friends. So sacrifice for the good of a, of a brother. K stands for Kaizen, which is a Japanese term to get 1% better every day. And, 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 you know, Jonathan, the thing about that is you can get better by having a so-called failure on the field equally as if it's, you know, it's not just hitting the home run or hitting the double or striking the guy out. Sure. Some someday you may go out there and go zero for three with three strikeouts, and you can learn as much from that experience as you can from you know doing well. So one of the one of my pet peeves with, with the baseball world is they say, well, baseball is kind of a game of failure, um, and you got to learn how to deal with failure. And and to me, you have to define failure. And failure doesn't really exist because it only it's only failure if you don't show up the next day and try again. So uh, the longer you coach, everything's going to happen. You're going to win games. You're going to win championships. You're going to lose games. You're going to lose championships. But as long as you keep showing up, to me, it's not a failure. So I want to throw that out there. That's fantastic. I stands for intelligence. So I, and I think every coach listening to your podcast, you know, they want. In our program, academic performance is at the forefront. Guys who are 3.0 and above always do well in our program. The last two years, we've been state academic champions, you know, throughout the entire state. Guys that are, you know, 3.5, 3.6, 4.0s, they play better in our program. Those guys that are 2.2, 2.3s, there's something missing. Mm-hmm. And so we don't like players that aren't smart. And, and also that goes on the field, too. You have to have awareness on the field. You know, you got to know where to go on defense. You need to understand the pitching sequence as a hitter. There's a baseball is a real high mental game that you got to have focus and concentration. And so I stands for intelligent. We want smart baseball players and great students. E is something we've turned, we changed about three years ago to earn it. So we're a program that does not believe in entitlement. And they earn everything they get in our program. They earn playing time, obviously. They earn the opportunity to make our team and, you know, what it means to wear that jersey. So just earn it. And we fight that. In, in today's society, we got to try to kill that entitlement word. And S stands for stronger. So every day, every time we go out there, we're going to get stronger physically, mentally, uh, and emotionally. You know, the best analogy I've heard about culture is that that proverbial fish tank that everybody's had in their house, you know, it is the water clear, organized, clean and simple, or is the water dirty, cluttered and complicated? Hmm. And I think all of us as coaches, we got to keep a real close eye on that culture. You know, it's always there and it's either getting better, or it's getting worse. Um, and we decide that through our daily actions and our commitment to creating a great culture. Like I said, the one thing that we really want to be known is we want to be a competitive culture, one that's going to go out there and play the same way, whether we're up 10 to nothing or, or down 12 to 2. We can't play to the scoreboard. We're just going to play to the pitch. And um, we want to be known as the most competitive team. Well, that's fantastic. And something that really stood out to me that, you, that you've mentioned a couple of times, and that's that you're really intentional about helping your assistants grow. So do you mind digging into that a little bit? You bet. And I've been so fortunate to have great assistants in our program. I believe that as a head coach, it is our responsibility to help those coaches develop. And, you know, sometimes you get the young kid that comes back to our program or just showed up in town or you get the experienced veteran that's been coaching longer than I have. But, you know, coaching development, there's so many different ways to learn. And the greatest thing about baseball is you continually learn every time you go on the field. There's something to learn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just think it's important that every coach really sits down and decides what our purpose out there is as a coach is, you know, what, what our job is. And our job is to make our players be successful on the field and give them the opportunity to learn these life skills. But I encourage them to go, listen, you know, I try to go to three to four coaching clinics a year. And uh, because there's so many, you know, baseball is such a different game. Our coaches share everything. Everything I've got in our program, I've learned from another coach. 
And so you can learn so much from those coaches' clinics. You know, uh, I also believe that we like to run our program like a major league team. You know, we have a hitting coach. Uh, last year, we actually had an assistant hitting coach, uh, pitching coach. Uh, I have a, a defensive coach. And, you know, I'm very fortunate to have that all that all those coaches. Now, it hasn't always been that way. You know, there's some years when I, there's been me and another assistant. But anyway, run like a major league team, you know, have, and, and be defined in their duties and, and let them coach. You know, there's nothing worse than being an assistant coach and the head coach is trying to do everything. That's not fair to him and it's not fair to – it's really not the best thing for the program. The best thing for the program is, you know, all the coaches work together for the betterment of the kids. So – and that kind of goes back to that relentless improvement. You know, I, I think everybody that listens to your podcast um, is searching for relentless improvement. Um, and I think the podcast is something that I'm one of those guys, you know, I've, I've been in ABCA for 25 years and I bought every single VHS and every single DVD they ever produced. And then a few years ago, I, you know, I get into this, I'm out walking my dog and I listen to your podcast and, uh, you know, and the podcasts are unbelievably convenient and awesome because all you have to do is push a button on your phone and everything. It's, it's beautiful, man. I mean, there's so much information and so much to learn. So, but I don't like coaches that think they know everything. I think that's a weakness. And I think that's why I go to so many different clinics and that's why I encourage the, you know, people, you can't get stuck in your ways. You have to, there might be a better way for a certain player to learn things. And that's why, you know, I search for so many things to learn from. Oh, that's awesome. And we see a lot of the acronyms like you're talking about that are, you know, that are posted on social media. And I love it. Like the core covenants, like these are what's important to us. Now, how are you taking like a graphic? So say, say I got a head coaching job next week. How would I take that and how would I teach that and how would I tell, how would I reinforce that to my players? So essentially over 20 years, how have you retaught every single one of those things that you're wanting every single year? Does that make sense? Yes. And, and, and that's why, you know, besides being with my family and I love the practice environment, I'd rather be on the field practicing because that interaction with your players is where everything is built. And same thing with games. You know, it's, it's, there's so much information out there now, Jonathan. It, it's pretty easy to organize thoughts and create a book and all this, but that doesn't mean anything. If you go to the field, like if, if you, if John, if you came out to our field and watched us practice, then I would hope and I would make sure <laughs> that all of these pillars were, were showing up every day in practice. Okay. And, and so, you know, that kind of leads into the competition we like to create in practice. I, I, I think the more competitive you can make practice, the better off those kids are going to play in the games. Sure. You know, and, and baseball practice can be the most boring, unproductive waste of time, or it can be the best part of everybody's day. You know, and I, I get energized the minute we walk through that gate to practice because I get energy from the kids. They get energy from me. You know, you can be having a really tough day at work or you can be having something outside the game influencing you negative way. But when you step on that field, it is an area of, hey, we're, we're accomplishing a goal together. And, you know, and, and today's is the only goal we have today is to win today's practice, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, a bad practice will bother me much more than a loss because the loss is just the end result of a bad of a of a few bad practices. Sure. And you win games and by winning practices. And and I want our players to love to come to practice. And I, I we we are known as a practice program, uh, which I'm proud of. I, I think, you know, that that's the environment. So it, you know, it's my daily challenge to make the most competitive, challenging, rewarding, and organized event of their day. That, and I take that very seriously. I, my brother, John, he's the head coach at UCLA. You know, uh, when he first got there, he got to go meet John Wooden. And one of the things Coach Wooden used to say was, you better spend as much time planning as your practice as you are actually practicing. So 
you know, we break it down into five, seven, eight minute increments of what we're doing every day in practice. So our practice plans are extremely detailed because I have a fear of wasting time out there. It, it's um, And as a player, there's nothing worse than wasting time at practice. So, you know, some of the air, some of the ways we try to make practice competitive. And we just put this in last year because I tell my team all the time, hey, everybody's doing arm care. Everybody's doing long toss. Everybody's taking BP. Everybody's taking ground balls. Everybody's doing individual defense, team defense, right? We're all doing the same thing. Sure. But it's how we do it is going to be a program separator because we want to separate our program from our competition. So, and, you know, BP was becoming so repetitive. It was just so repetitive and, you know, and it's hour to an hour, 20 minutes, hour, 30 minutes every day. So we started charting it. And at the end of that BP session, there would be a player with the highest point total. And, and obviously he'd be the winner of the day. And their focus went way up when we started charting it. Another thing we've done during BP, which was really, is, is they have to vocalize the goal of the swing. And they hate doing that. But I love getting them out of their element and having them be vocal. So runner on second base, no outs. Our program goal is to score him or move him. And so I'm throwing BP and I'll say, okay, what's the goal? And the hitter will say, score him or move him. And I said, hey, the center fielder can't hear you say that. So he's got to say it loud enough for the center fielder who's playing defense to hear the guy taking BP. So they have to verbalize that, mm-hmm. score him or move him, and they're making a verbal commitment to that goal. So that's a few different ways that we've made BP more competitive. Um, and, and BP to me is much more than just offense. It's the best way to, to learn how to play defense is playing defense live during BP. So every ball put in play, I want to be competitive on defense as far as our team goes during BP. Um, and the one of the ways we, we keep a defensive chart, and this is usually kept by somebody who's either on the disabled, you know, he's, dis- he's disabled list or a team manager or even an assistant, co- assistant coach. He keeps a defensive chart. And at the end of the day, that defensive player is rewarded. The other thing we've done in the past is have a play of the day. So we'll get an old Reno High t-shirt. You know, coaching for so long, you accumulate gear. (laughs) So Reno baseball t-shirt, UCLA baseball t-shirt. You know, if I bring something back, you know, I got to go to Omaha with John a few times. So I, I buy I buy all those discounted College World Series shirts, so I bring those back for the game, the plays of the day. And so at the end of the day, there's a defensive play of the day who gets a T-shirt. A player gets that. You know, we also stopwatch. The stopwatch is a great evaluator of competition as far as base running times and also making defensive plays. Um, the bullpen is an area that has to be competitive and charted. We chart all of our bullpens. A couple of really good stories going back to that play of the day t-shirt. We were getting ready to play in a state championship game this past spring. And I get a text from a player who played for me in 2012 named Austin Wood. He was our shortstop. And he said, Coach, I just want, wish you good luck today. I just want you to know, and now he's a Marine battalion leader. And inside his bulletproof vest, he had cut out one of those Reno baseball t-shirts and kept that R inside that bulletproof vest when he went on his details. And he just, you know, he, and he sent me the text and it was awesome. He goes, you know, the way I've learned to lead and the way I've learned to be a good team player and all this stuff comes from Reno high baseball. And it was very rewarding to hear that, that, you know, that a play of the day t-shirt is, is somewhere over in Afghanistan or uh, where this guy's, you know, fighting is crazy, you know, crazy. Awesome. Yes. It's pretty awesome. Then I had another kid that he got a play of the day t-shirt and, and he's a really successful lawyer, but every exam he took in college and in law school, he wore the Reno baseball shirt underneath his collared shirt. So those stories come back to you. So, you know, you think you're just giving him a t-shirt, but the value of that, and the why it's so impactful is they earn it. 
they, they, they don't just get that T-shirt. They have to make a great play to earn that. So that defensive part of batting practice is emphasized extensively every day because one of the greatest terms that I believe is, you know, a run saved is equal to a run driven in. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about that, if an if a outfielder lays out and saves a triple and saves three runs, is that rewarded in your program the same thing as a guy that hits a three-run homer? And it sure is in our program. I think, you know, defense is, is emphasized every day during batting practice. So we do that. The other thing we do is we have a point system BP where it's kind of a situational scrimmage thing where every single thing we do is there's points. So runner on second, no outs. If a guy gets ground ball to the right side, it's a plus one. If, if he rolls over, it's a negative one. If he strikes out, it's a negative five. You know, if he hits a double off the wall, it's plus three. If he hits a home run, plus four. So all these, so if like for like an hour and a half, you're doing all these points and you, and as a coach, you're just throwing BP and you're yelling the points out. And again, and again, somebody else is tabulating all these points. Very, very competitive. A lot of fun. Kids love it. They go for extra bases. Everything is awesome. And then finally, the other thing we started doing a few years ago is the quality of bat leader. You know, obviously, everybody's keeping track of quality of bats. Mm-hmm. They wear a uh, camouflage jersey, which kind of differentiates them from everybody else during a practice jersey. And also the quality innings pitch leader. So there's two camo jerseys out there at every practice. And it's well known that the, the, the people are wearing those are either the quality of bat leader or the quality innings pitch leader. Random question. Why camo? Okay. Well, I think it goes back to that. You know, we're so fortunate for what we do. You know, I get all excited about baseball, but just think about the people fighting for our freedom, uh, the people that have lost their lives for their freedom. Um, I've had players that the dads have been over there fighting. And so the camel to me is just a a sign of strength and a sign of sacrifice. Okay. I love that. So you've mentioned that practice is just the lifeblood of your program. And I... I love putting practice plans together myself, but I always struggle mm-hmm. with, you know, how much time should we spend on each aspect? So this is a very broad, you know, question and it depends on the team and it depends on where you're at in the season. But what would, you know, a typical skeleton practice plan look like for you guys? You mentioned that if I came and watched, you know, take us through what I would usually see. Okay. So the first thing is 15 minutes early. My players always show up. They call it savage time. They show up 15 minutes early before it's actually like, you know, if it's 3 o'clock, I want them there at 2.45. My watch says 3 o'clock when it's really 2.45. I learned that, you know, and I've gotten kids come back later and said, hey, I coach, I got that job because I was the first, you know, I was 15 minutes early and the guy was waiting, you know, for the interview and that type of thing. So 15 minutes early. So a, a, a typical day, kids will get out of school at 2.30. 245, man, we're stretching. And well, first of all, we're setting the field up. Okay. And I expect that to be done correctly. And it's a good way for our seniors to show leadership. You know, I want the the longer you are in our program, the harder you work. Okay. So I want our seniors to be our hardest workers. They know exactly what to do. So they, anyway, every player has a duty. They set the field up. Then we, we take our, we take a lap out to a certain sign in our field, an outfield fence sign that has meaning and they'll tap that sign. So when they tap that sign, that means, hey, we're mentally tapping into practice. And we'll go through active warm-up for 15 minutes. Then we'll get into a long toss throwing program, which would be 20 minutes timed. There's freedom in there, but it's also timed. So then we'll have individual defense, which can run anywhere from 15 minutes to 30 minutes. Let me back up because what we instituted last year too, Jonathan, is every day we bunt off a machine. Okay. So machine set up prior. So every day a player is going to go through a bunting routine, uh, you know, sack one, push, sack three, drag. Every day we're bunting off velocity off the machine. And the players get, get used to that. And it's it's good because – you have to practice bunting off velocity. And so we do that every day also. Anyway, after, after individual defense, we'll get into our team defensive session. It could be anything from 
a thing called plays around the infield, outfield, or inside game, which is a PFP type thing, or double fungos, or cuts and relays, whatever we're going to concentrate on that day. We have checklists we work off of. So we we do that. We do that for probably another 20, 30 minutes. And then we go through our BP session. And then, then we'll have some type anywhere in random. We'll, we'll insert like a like a two-inning scrimmage where players just have to compete live on live. We'll do that too. So okay. that's basically what our practice looks like. Um, and, I, and I think that it's how you do things that matter. It's not so much, you know, what's really on that practice sheet. It's how we're going to do it that matters. Sure, and it sounds like you guys aren't uh, at practice for a ton of time. You know, I, I think baseball is a time-consuming sport to teach, and it's a very – you have to be a patient person as a player to let your skills develop. So mm-hmm. I love – actually, I know this isn't really popular right now, but I love long practices. So yeah. during the weekdays, we'll go three to three and a half hours. During Saturdays, they, the kids call them Super Saturdays. We'll go four to six hours because I don't like to be rushed. And, you know, I think baseball is a great game because there is no clock in it. You just got to you just got to grind it out and keep practicing and keep playing. So I, I just there's no You know, sometimes we'll stop practice in the middle of practice and we'll get everybody around home plate on that on the AstroTurf uh, halo. and We'll talk about the middle game. We'll do that. We'll talk about that. In the middle of practice, I, I think it has to be a little bit random because the game's random. You don't know what's okay. going to happen when. That's that's how our practice goes, and it, it weeds out players. Some players don't like to be out there that long, and they end up not playing. They'll they'll just not play because they don't want to grind it out. But at, at the same time, I I don't think you can rush player development. It has to. It really takes time, and it's it's something that uh, I just think it's important. It has to be emphasized every day. You know, the, the other thing is when we go through our BP setup, here's what we do. So typically we'll have anywhere from 20 to 23 players on a roster. I keep a large roster because my, my philosophy is a, a player can become a small part of something special is better than not playing at all. So, you know, players, you know, we'll have 20, 23 guys. Let's say we have five groups out there. We'll have one group inside the hitting facility, which there's three tunnels and T's in there. They'll spend they'll spend about twenty minutes in there working a routine. There's machine set up, there's 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 front toss, there's T work, and there's points of emphasis every day in there. Then they'll come on the field and they'll hit live. And it'll be anywhere between four rounds of there'll be a there'll be a uh, execution round, short game execution round, then there'll be like an oppo round, then there'll be hard line drive round, then there'll be gap to gap round and breaking balls are mixed in every round then they'll go from that live group they'll go to the bullpen and they're because there's pitchers throwing bullpens and i expect our hitters to stand in and track pitches i think it's something that is way under taught is the vision part of hitting and, it, and it's also we never throw a bullpen without a stand-in hitter stand-in hitters you know throwing a bullpen without a stand-in hitter is like a a soccer player shooting a ball into the goal without a goalie. So uh, every time I – and I learned that from my brother John, that every time you throw a bullpen, I want I want that catcher, that hitter standing right there. So our hitters track pitches out there as a, as a station, and I think it helps them for pitch recognition. Then they go to defense. They play two groups of defense. So BP sessions can run anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours. That's fantastic, and it's you know it's it's something that I'm trying to find the sweet spot in in our practices of how long should we go versus I I, I want to be I have like Oregon duck like practices where everything's crisp, and then you mentioned that you know that you guys spend some time to you know get to and so it's not really rushed, and so you know that's something that I need to self reflect on as well, but I'm always looking for ways to either save time or do things better, and so what comes to mind whenever I ask this, and that's you know, how do you get the most out of the spring when we're trying to compete, but time is kind of limited? So is there any things that a lot of coaches do too much of or coaches don't do enough of or things that have saved you time in the past? 
Yeah, I just think the most important thing there is is let your players know your practice expectations. We have this thing called Ten Commandments of Practice. I think I got it from Coach Gilliams uh, in, in his hitting book. But, you know, the Ten Commandments of Practice, if you're not present at practice, you're going to waste time. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to be present. There's enough time to get everything in an efficient way. And that's a constant battle, I think, with for every single coach is, you know, how to simplify things so the players – can work their routines to the point of getting better in practice. But I, I, an answer, direct answer to the question is they know what I want in practice and we're going to get it done. I go back to that old Lou Holtz, Lou Holtz's quote, we're going to get three good hours of practice and even if it's going to take us six. <laughs> that's, that's really good. <laughs> if you could go back and either tell your first yourself some advice or you could give some advice to some of our head coaches that are in their first year or, you know, like me wanting to be a head coach someday, what would your best advice be? Well, I think, um, you know, as a, as a head, as a young head coach, you try to prove yourself and it's like, and and you think that's about winning games and and don't get me wrong. I am very, very competitive and we love to win. And, and, but winning is a byproduct of what else goes on. But the longer you coach, you realize the most important part of coaching is building relationships. It goes back to that Coach Corbin, you know, the better job we do as coaches and, and building better men that are going to win more games. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to spend time with them on their personal development. That team building aspect is, is such a huge aspect of it, Jonathan. We We put in something and we do it when we're on the road because I love going on the road because – there's no going home They're mm-hmm. You know, they're in the hotel. So we will, we did this the last three years on a road trip to Southern California and, and it, it was phenomenal. And I'm sure you've heard of it, but it's called hero hardship and highlight. And so each, and each kid has to stand in front of their teammates and pretty much bear their soul. You know, who's your hero in your life? What hardship have you gone on and what's the, the highlight of your life so far? And, it just builds such great team chemistry and it has, it cannot do, it cannot be about baseball. You can't, it's not about baseball. It's about life. And the information that comes out of that two hour session in that hotel conference room, which we, we begged the front desk to use mm-hmm. <laughs> is phenomenal. And it, and it certainly, it's changed my life because as a coach, you know, the last thing a player wants to be known as, Hey, to my coach, I'm just number 14 and I just play third base. Sure. Or are we the coaches like, you know what? I care about what that kid's going through home at home, what she's going through in the classroom, you know, what he's going through with his relationships because all that impacts their game. And so I really encourage people to use that exercise because I, I'll tell you what, it changed the way I looked at my players. You know, we have a great high school at Reno High School. We have great parents. We're very fortunate. Have great teachers, great administration, but even in our little circle of players last year, I think we had, like I said, twenty-three players on the team. There was eight to ten kids that were dealing with with some type of um, illness in their family, whether it be cancer or addiction or or whatever. And it was it was crazy some of the stories these kids came out with. And and then you know over there was eight to ten kids that were come from broken families. And so, you know, there's a lot the kids have to deal with just to get to the field. But it is certainly a great way to build your team and break down barriers. And, you know, one thing one thing that has to be said prior to that exercise is that nothing leaves the room, right? Um, especially with social media and, you know, no phones in the room. But the kids open up and it is an awesome exercise. Well, that's fantastic. Hero, hardship and highlight. And highlight. Yep. Love it. Love it. All right, coach. Well, you know, we're, we're still a little bit in a, in a time of, of self-reflecting from last year to this upcoming year. So are there any changes that you're making from, you know, last spring or summer that you're going to try and implement this, uh, this following year? Absolutely. I, I, I think if, if we're not changing things from year to year, then we are stagnant and, and, uh, that would be the day I stop coaching. But, you know, we're going to, we're going to try to sharpen things up, you know, improve that work ethic improve those competitive attitudes, keep emphasizing the mental game. And we have this thing on the back of our shirt, TPW. So TPW stands for tough people win. 
I got that from a football coach named Randy Jackson. But, He's awesome. you know, yeah, I mean, tough people win. You think of different parts of your life and, and toughness has to be defined. It has to be a situation where, you know, it's not punching a wall. It's 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 executing against adversities, you know, turning something negative into a positive. I think we'll definitely do those types of things. You know, we had a really good successful season as far as win-loss goes. But, again, the longer you coach, you know, it's not about it. That's important. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you that winning is important. But it isn't, it's not even the main focus. The main focus is teaching life skills through the game of baseball. So we'll continue to emphasize that. I, you know, we're trying to sharpen that, that teaching aspect up to, you know, maybe a theme, different theme per week. We're going to work on that. And like you mentioned, Randy Jackson, football coach in Texas, and uh, has a book called Culture Defeat Strategy. So if, if you're into competition and themes of the week and themed days of the week even, that's a fantastic read. I think you can find that on Amazon. But, you know, Coach, uh, again, sticking on the subject of learning, what's the latest thing learned that's got you really excited? Well, podcasts. I, I, I Like I said, I love your podcast. I listen to all yours. Save them. You know, and then same thing with the ABCA. I, I got a, a wonderful dog that I, I put these headphones in and I get to walk with them every day. And it's just a it's a peaceful time of, of my day is when I get to do that. And there has never been a time when I've turned on your podcast or the ABCAs mm-hmm. and have not learned something that that I can can't immediately go back the next day and put into our program. And that's our responsibility as coaches. That's why. This relentless learning is not to make us as coaches look better. It is to make our players better. And that's, that's our, that should be your main focus as a coach is what can I go learn today to make my players better tomorrow? And so that's, that's my big thing is these podcasts. It's like Christmas, right? I mean, <laughs> I used to spend about $750 a year buying all the ABCA stuff. And now it's all included. In the, and I get these podcasts, you know, you push the button and it's all right there. It's so simple and so peaceful. It's it's part of the day I love the most. You know, so that that's kind of the most exciting thing I've learned lately. Love it. You've mentioned that you want your players to love being at practice and to love the competition behind it. But is there something in particular that you guys do in practice that your kids just can't get enough of? Yeah, it's that player of the day t-shirt. Okay. I mean, they... They fight for that thing. And, you know, even when we do that point system game, if there's a T-shirt on the line, they'll they'll argue, you know, why did I get three points? And, Coach, that's not a negative one. That's a plus one. And it, it gets crazy, you know. You know, then it becomes, you know, should I have made that play? Coach gave me an error. I, I, yeah, I think it's a hit. You know, there, all kinds of arguments happen during that practice. But that play of the day T-shirt, and you know, when I share those story of that, of that Marine sergeant and and that law you know the lawyer successful lawyer wearing his shirt it it means a lot to win the play of the day so that would be the thing we emphasize the most in practice now this one this question that i really like too because you get some some crazy responses and some mixed responses but is there anything that you do that other coaches think that you're crazy for doing yeah every time we go to a coaches meeting the coaches in my league say why are you here? You you should be practicing. <laughs> so so we're known as a practice program, you know. But like I said, if not with, if I'm not with my family, I want to be with my team on the field practicing. To me, there's no better place to be. Mm-hmm. I I just I just look at it as a time of growth and a time of competition. And so it's obviously, practicing to me is is so important. You know, I, I heard Jack Leggett say it at the ABCA one year. He goes, if you give me the national championship and would not let me practice, I would not accept it. And it's the same thing with us. If, if, if you gave me the state championship, if you gave us the state championship trophy and not allow us to practice, I would not accept it because I like practice more than games. And uh, practice to me is everything. Well, that's awesome. And, and for my resource question, you've already mentioned mine, which wow, I'm, I'm so thankful that you listen and and obviously, you know, the ABCA and calls from the clubhouse with Sheets, they do a great job. But are there any other resources that you would like to throw out there for our listeners? Yeah, I, you know, I'm very fortunate. My youngest, my youngest brother, uh, John, the head coach at UCLA, it, I, owe, I owe him so much because we talk daily and uh, we're very similar in mindset. And we're, I've learned so much from him 
and all the people that he's associated with. So I'm very fortunate. He's my main resource. But, you know, Ken Revisa, uh, who just passed away, I was close, very close to him. His Heads Up Baseball book 2.0, you know, and, and people think of Ken as a sports psychologist. You know, to me, he really changed my life because his skills relate more to life than baseball. You know, when you think about it, you know, you can change one pitch at a time to one minute at a time. You know, turning negatives to positives. You know, the longer you live, and I mean, life is challenging. People, every, every, everybody faces challenges. You know, so you know, turning negatives into positives, being comfortable, being uncomfortable. You know, so his teachings have certainly helped with that. So anything Ken has put out there, specifically his Heads Up Baseball 2.0 book, phenomenal resource. And like I said, the podcasts and the ABCA, I, it, you know, just terrific, just outstanding ways to make coaches better. The other thing is I study coaches from all kinds of sports. It's it's kind of my hobby. I love looking at college football coaches. I've basketball coaches, soccer coaches. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. It's building a team. It's putting them in a competitive environment. It's teaching them the skills and then, you know, making making them play the best they can. Uh, I, I just think that there's so much out there that you can learn from that I my mindset, I do not understand coaches that get stuck. I, I don't understand that, that either they think they know everything or, you know, there's two words I hate. And, and one is arrogance and the other one is ignorance because they're totally controllable by the individual. Mm, so I hate people that are arrogant. You know, coach, I go back to Coach Wood. You know, he had that saying, you know, never think you're better than anybody else, but always think you're just as good. I love that way of life because – it doesn't matter how many championships you've won or not won. I look at everybody being equal, and it's it's important to give people that earn that respect the, the proper respect. And then ignorance, that's just a lack of wanting to learn, which I I don't understand. I don't I don't understand that mindset. So I, I just appreciate what you do and and giving us this awesome resource, and uh, you know it's fantastic. Well, thank you again for coming on the show, and and before you go. Would you mind telling our listeners how they can get in touch with you online? Yeah, the best. I'm I'm, I'm just learning uh, the social media aspect of. It. I'm 57 years old, so I'm an old school coach trying to learn new school ways. But I'm getting better at it. But uh, my email is the best. It's p e t e s at savage s a v a g e a n d s o n dot com, or my cell number seven seven five six nine zero nine three one six and. Uh, Probably the best way to get a hold of me is one of those two two uh, sources. All right. Well, Coach Savage, thank you again for your time and love the fantastic conversation that we had. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Yeah, just the last thing I'd say is this, you know, besides my relationship with Jesus Christ and my family, baseball is a uniting sport. It brings people together. Um, it unites people and provides an environment for all of us coaches to teach life skills. And these kids, they need it now, nowadays. We all need to teach those life skills. I think it's the most important part of our job. So appreciate the opportunity, Jonathan, and uh, look forward to working with you. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group and if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.